The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Tonight we are wrapping up our series on the book of Ephesians. It's been a joy to look into God's Word over these last several months. And uh, we'll finish up tonight. I'll be reading in the, in the bulletin, it says chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. I'm going to start at verse 10, just to give us a little bit of the context and a little review of where we've been the last couple weeks. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 20. And this is the Word of God. Let us remember that it is the truth, and it is indeed a precious gift. And may we receive it as such this evening. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is indeed the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have given us your spirit We thank you that you have given us your son, that we are able to come before you into your presence. We have access with boldness and confidence. We pray tonight that you would help us to receive the word of God with meekness, that we would study it and aim to apply it to our lives. Lord, open my mouth that I might boldly declare the mystery of the gospel and open hearts to receive it with humility and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come here to the end of our study on Ephesians, and Paul concludes by focusing on the priority of prayer. And it was D.L. Moody, the 19th century evangelist who started Moody Bible Institute, who said, next to the wonder of seeing my Savior will be, I think, the wonder that I made so little use of the power of prayer. And I think we can identify with that statement. You ask almost any Christian an area of their life that they could grow in, and many would point to prayer. 
we recognize that's often an area of weakness. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones, the medical doctor who would be the minister at Westminster Chapel in London for many years, who said, if your knowledge of doctrine does not make you a great man of prayer, you had better examine yourself again. And isn't that appropriate for us to consider tonight as we come to the end of a study on Ephesians, a book that has been so rich in doctrine? And as we come to this end of, the end of the study, we ask ourselves, how has our life been transformed over these last several months? Have we become great men and women of prayer? But what is a great man or woman of prayer? What does that look like? Does that look like the man I read about this past week who... Uh, Five times a day, he sets aside time to stop and pray to God. No matter where he's at, no matter what he's doing, he stops and prays to God. And this is what he said about those times. He says, it reminds you about God throughout your day. At fixed intervals, no matter how busy you are, all of a sudden you have to take out a few minutes and you're remembering, okay, why am I really here? And while I was doing whatever I was doing, was I doing it in a manner pleasing to God? Well, that's a great question to ask, a great practice to implement in your lives, a great concept. But the tragedy is, that man was a Muslim. So while he is praying, God is not listening. Because that man, being a Muslim, rejecting Jesus Christ, does not have access to God. He's not praying in the Spirit. He is not going to God through Jesus. You see, not anyone can just pray in any way that they want to. And what we see here at the end of Ephesians, Paul's teaching us about prayer. And he's showing us that God has given the privilege of prayer to his people to help them stand in the battle. God has given the privilege of prayer to his people to help them stand in the battle. And as we look at this, it's important for us to understand that prayer is not just another piece of armor. It's not just another weapon for our warfare, but it is to pervade all of our spiritual warfare. In fact, this phrase in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, actually points back to verse 14 where Paul says, stand therefore. In all of our battle, we are to be praying as we put the armor on. So as we think about this, this armor that God has provided for us, that Paul is telling us, can be put on, can only be put on and used through prayer. Paul instructs us on how to do that. He instructs us on what this prayer looks like, on what it is. And the first thing that he says is that this prayer is to be in the Spirit. We are to be praying in the Spirit. And when Paul says that, he's not referring to uh, speaking in tongues, as some might immediately think about. But it simply means prayer that conforms to the will, to the purpose of the Spirit. It's submitting our wills and our desires to God. And perhaps the greatest example that we have of that in the scriptures is Jesus himself. You remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's about to face his most difficult hour, about to be arrested, about to go to the cross to bear the sins of his people. And three times when he's in the garden, he is wrestling with God in prayer. So intense, he's, dreading, he's sweating drops of blood. And he says three times, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus acknowledges the power of his Father. He expresses his desire to the Father, and yet he submits to the Father's will. He's praying 
in the Spirit. That's the example for us, the illustration of what it means to pray in the Spirit. Now here in verse 18, especially Paul is encouraging believers to give priority to prayer. And he does that. If you look at verse 18, that one short verse, hardly a sentence, Paul uses one word four times in that verse. He uses the word all four times. And I want us to take a look at that tonight to see what he's teaching us. So four times he uses the word all. The first time he tells us that we are to pray at all times. God's children are to make a daily, continual use of the privilege of prayer as they strive to stand in the battle. Now this doesn't mean that prayer is the only thing that we do. I don't know anyone who can only pray all the time. Paul didn't only pray. Jesus didn't only pray. But what Paul is instructing us here is that prayer, communion with God, is to be the natural, consistent part of our lives. It's not something that we only do on certain days or at certain times or at special seasons or periods of our lives. You might remember 1 Thessalonians 5.17 where the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. That we are to have this mental attitude of prayerfulness. Not prayerlessness, but prayerfulness. A continual personal fellowship with God. An awareness of God's presence throughout the day. Each moment we live, as some theologians say, quorum Deo, before the face of God. R.C. Sproul says to live quorum Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God. Under the authority of God and to the glory of God. And that idea was probably promoted... um, most noticeably in the life of the 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence. Some of you might remember that name. Some of you maybe have read his book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And what Brother Lawrence aimed to do was to just always have his mind upon God, interacting with God, whatever he was doing, praying to God at all times. And you don't have to agree with everything that Brother Lawrence did or wrote or even believe to appreciate and learn just from that mindset that he promoted, that whatever I do, whether it's washing dishes, which is what he did often in the monastery, in the kitchen, or leading a Bible study, or whatever it is, I do it with an awareness that God is with me, that he sees me, that he loves me, that he listens to me, and he can help me. What an amazing privilege this is for the people of God, that we have access to God at all times, that he is with you, ready and eager to listen. And so Paul says, go to him, talk to him, pray at all times. The advances in technology today are amazing and just continue to astound us, Uh, even in the area of the simple telephone. So when I was uh, a child growing up, we had a telephone, the rotary phone that was attached to the wall and had a a cord attaching to the wall, so you had to stand in one place when you were talking on the phone, and the phone would ring, and you had no idea who it was. And so the phone would ring and you'd go and it would be like a, a big surprise. Oh, who is it going to be? And you'd pick up the phone and sometimes you wish you didn't and sometimes you were happy you did. But today, I don't know anyone who, who uh, hears the phone ring and doesn't know who it is. You, you know, our cell phones have caller ID. So you, you get, somebody calls and, and there you have the phone and right there is either the phone number or the name of who's calling you. So you know who it is before you even answer the phone. And then even now, you don't even have to pick up your phone. As soon as it rings, you can know who it is because now they have these personalized ringtones. I don't know how many of you have these. 
on your phones. But my wife and I just recently got new phones, and I played around just a little bit with it, not a whole lot. But you can actually assign a certain sound or ringtone to different people. So when the phone rings, you know who it is immediately. So right now, uh, I have one of those. It's for my wife, the only one in my phone book that has it. It's my wife. It's a little bit strange because anytime she calls, it's the sound of Paul Rogers singing. But that's okay. I might figure something out later. So I hear Paul singing. I know it's Amy. And whenever that happens, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to answer that call. Because it's from my wife, my best friend, the person I love more than anyone in this world. And, And if she's calling to talk to me, I want to hear. I want to listen. I want to engage in that relationship. And I know this might seem a little silly, but in a sense, this is the privilege that we have with prayer. That when we come to talk to God, he is there, eager, ready to listen. He knows our voice. He he knows who we are. It's like he has a personal ringtone for us. So that when we call, you know, God's not saying, I'm not going to answer that call. He's listening. He's going to answer that call. He's not going to let it go to voicemail. He's not ignoring it. He's not going to put it on silent because he doesn't want to hear from that person. No. When you call out to God, you don't have to say, can you hear me now? You have perfect, full coverage at all times, in all places. You're not going to run out of minutes. You're not going to run out of text. You're not going to get any overage charges. Nothing like that. God hears your cry at all times. What a great comfort And encouragement this is to all of us, to the grandparent, to the busy working father, to the overwhelmed stay-at-home mom, to the adult who lives alone, to the hurt teenager, to the struggling, fearful child. You can transform those lonely moments, those empty moments, those stressful moments, those painful moments, those frazzled pull out your hair where you can't even see the breaking point in your rearview mirror moments, you can transform those moments into holy moments of communion with God Almighty. You can be still and remember God. He's there. He's with you in those moments. He cares. He wants to hear. He is ready. He is willing. He is able to help you stand. May you delight to pray at all times. God's children are to make daily, continual use of the privilege of prayer as they strive to stand in the battle. Now, some of you might be asking, well, what about when I don't feel like I can pray at all, let alone at all times? And the Bible has a word of comfort and encouragement for you, for us, tonight. In Romans chapter 8, we're told that the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit himself prays for us when we don't know what to pray. One pastor wrote this about that passage. When we are reduced to helplessness, the Holy Spirit will help us. Have you ever thought of the Holy Spirit as a gracious person who steps in with the offer, may I help? May I bear that burden with you? You are in anguish over your children You feel forsaken by God. You don't know how to negotiate that important decision. You're lonely. You're tempted. You're sinful. You need to pray, may I help. The Holy Spirit, he does not reproach us. In fact, he gives generously to all without making them feel guilty or foolish. So may you be encouraged to pray at all times. 
And when you can't, be encouraged to know that the Holy Spirit helps and he himself prays for you. We are to pray at all times. The second time Paul uses the word all, he says that we are to pray with all prayer and supplication. So to help us stand in the battle, God has given us many kinds of prayers. Paul uses two words here, prayer and supplication. And when we think of supplication, we think of bringing our requests to God, asking God for something. And prayer includes supplications, but supplication is not the only kind of prayer. Many of you here may be familiar with the ACTS acronym, A-C-T-S. All of my children have uh, learned that here at Westminster. Jeff Hood and Steve Forbes, teaching fourth grade Sunday school, have taught them all how to pray using this acronym, where the A stands for adoration, where we praise God for who he is. It's a form of prayer, praising God for who he is, stopping to remember and reflect on the character of our great God. And and if you have not done that or you're not familiar with that, the Bible is full of passages that are helpful to encourage and instruct us on how to pray prayers of adoration. And I would encourage you to reflect on some of them, to memorize some of them, to pray some of them. This is what Moses did in Deuteronomy 32 as he sang his song and he began it in saying, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. A prayer of adoration. And the C stands for confession, a time to confess our sins before God. Again, you can use prayers from Scripture, the famous prayer of David in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from all my sin, for I know my transgressions. My iniquity is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And and he continues to go on and on. We pray prayers of confession to acknowledge our sin before God. And we remember the hope that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. It's another kind of prayer. The T stands for thanksgiving. Giving our thanks to God. And I wonder when it comes to thanksgiving, how does Jesus think about you? Remember the story of the ten lepers in the Gospels, where ten lepers in desperate need of cleansing come to Christ, and what does Jesus do? He graciously and mercifully heals them all, but only one comes back to thank him. And Jesus says, well, weren't there ten? Where are the other nine? Only one has come back to return and give thanks. Beloved, if you are a child of God, you are like a leper who's been cleansed. You've been given new life. Have you come back to give thanks to God? Do you daily return to give thanks? What do you give thanks to God for today? And again, later this evening, you'll have the opportunity to offer praise and thanks to God here uh, in our service. But what do you thank God for today? Again, the Bible's a great place to start. The Psalms are a great place to start. As you see them giving thanks to God over and over and over again, Psalm 106 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? The psalmist is at a loss for words. He thanks God because God is good. 
because his steadfast love endures forever. But then he acknowledges that God's praises are beyond his comprehension. There is no way he could praise God for all the goodness that he has given unto him. And then finally, the S is the supplication. So these are just a few of the different kinds of prayers we can offer to God. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Supplication, we bring our requests. And I want to just encourage you with two points about this. Really, I'm going to pack two sermons into about three minutes here, and you can unpack it and think about it later. And both of these points I've been encouraged to meditate on from Pastor John Piper. But the first point is this. When it comes to supplication and requests, you can never ask too much. You can never ask too much. So this is where God as a father is very different from Troy De Bruin as a father. My kids ask too much. Sometimes I tell them, stop asking me questions. God doesn't do that to us. You can never ask too much. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaches us about prayer to help remove our skepticism about prayer. Because you know what? As As believers, we often think, will God answer this prayer? I've I've prayed this prayer several times. I'm not seeing an answer to this prayer. We wonder, does prayer work? What is the place of prayer? But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus is teaching us that, look, even you human fathers know how to give good things to your children. God only gives what is good. God only knows what is best for us. He never ignores his children. He will give you what you ask, or something better. Notice I didn't say easier, but better. He knows what is best for you. He knows what is good. He will answer your prayer. John Newton wrote, you are coming to a king. You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Do you believe that? You can never ask God too much. You can never ask him something that he cannot do. He will do good to you. He will do what is best for you. And here's the second point that John Piper brings out. He says, God, and this is related to James 4 too, which we'll look at in just a moment. But God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, has ordained that prayers cause things to happen that would not happen if you did not pray. God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, has ordained in his infinite wisdom and mercy that prayers cause things to happen that would not happen if you did not pray. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now we need to reflect on this for a moment as good Calvinists who believe in the sovereignty and plan of God. And, and he says, this does not mean that you would have anyway, even if you don't ask, because God has a plan. He says, don't make the verse say something it does not say. It says you do not have because you do not ask. So God uses prayer to cause things to happen that would not happen if people didn't pray. Now, if this is true, and it is true, then it means that God has made it possible for you to pray. Do you see what a great privilege this is? And why wouldn't you pray? Why wouldn't you go 
to the sovereign king of the universe and lay your request before him and wait in expectation. God and his infinite sovereignty and wisdom, and he works it out in ways that we cannot understand, but he can bring to pass events in the universe that would not happen if you did not pray. So what do you want to see happen? Are you praying about it? Are you praying in the Spirit, submitting your desires to God? Jesus wrestled in the garden. He wanted the cup to pass from him in that experience, but he submitted that to God. Pray in the Spirit. May you be encouraged to pray with all prayer and supplication. Well, third, the third all, he says, keep alert with all perseverance. So to help us stand in the battle, God helps us persevere in the privilege of prayer. And now we return to combat talk, the spiritual warfare image. Like good soldiers, keep alert. Don't give up or fall asleep. What kind of soldier falls asleep in the midst of a battle? What kind of soldier is apathetic in the midst of a battle or walks around not paying attention as if they don't care? You know what kind of soldier? A dead soldier. That's what will happen if a soldier is not paying attention in battle. Brothers and sisters, we are in a battle. And we need to remember that and act like it and not get lulled to sleep, breathing the God-ignoring air of this culture that we live in. Or being lulled to sleep, enjoying the comforts of this material world and forgetting that there's a whole other world out there. We need to keep alert with all perseverance. We need this encouragement because prayer is hard. Because we face many distractions. Satan is hurling his darts at us, trying to distract us because he knows the power of prayer. I I went to Lancaster Bible College and I had Dr. Ide. Some of you know Dr. Ide, remember here. I had him for public speaking. And I remember one speech, this is the only speech I remember giving in his class. But I remember one speech, uh, the reason I remember it is because as I was getting ready and as I gave my speech, one of my friends was sitting in the back corner of the class and the whole time I was giving my speech, He was up there making funny faces at me, waving his arms, doing anything he could to try to distract me and get me to laugh or mess up. And and I did not ask Dr. Ide if that was planned, if that was part of his teaching or not. I just thought my friend was being mean. But he was trying to distract me in the midst of that class. Sometimes that's what it's like when we try to pray. We try to focus in and we are distracted. So many thoughts going through our minds. The grocery list, the to-do list, the game from last night or the game that's coming up tonight. Or for younger people, it might be the boy or girl that's caught their eye at a particular time. They're thinking through the latest email or text message they got and what it means and analyzing every word. And we get distracted. Our own busy minds. And Paul says, keep alert. And again, we return to the garden. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples? Jesus is wrestling in prayer and he comes back and he finds Peter and John and they've fallen asleep. And Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. We need to watch and pray because Jesus is coming again. At any moment, Christ could return. We need to watch and pray because temptation is looming. We need to watch and pray because the the devil is prowling like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If, If you go to a zoo and you're walking around with your kids and all of a sudden they announce that a lion has escaped from its cage, you are gonna walk around that zoo very differently than you were before. You're going to be looking at every angle, guarding your kids. You are going to keep alert. 
That is what we need to remember on this, in this life. Satan's like a roaring lion. Keep alert. False teachers are circling like fierce wolves trying to devour us. And we tend to sleep when we should pray. Keep alert. Paul also says, with all perseverance. Luke 18.1 is always a verse that has stood out to me because it says, Then Jesus taught his disciples a parable to teach them that they should always pray and not give up. Very simple explanation. To teach us we should always pray and not give up. Don't give up. St. Augustine's mother, Monica, prayed for him for probably over 20 years. Persisted in prayer until he finally repented and trusted in Christ. I want to read real quickly for you just a passage in Matthew chapter 15. An example of praying and not giving up. Matthew 15, it's the Canaanite woman whose daughter was possessed, oppressed by a demon. She comes to Jesus, verse 22. Behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So she cries out to Jesus, the one who has the power to help her. Help me. But he did not answer her a word. So that's the first time. And Jesus says, no. Help me. Basically, Jesus says, no. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. This is the second time she asked. She goes to the disciples. They leave her. It's the second time she got a no for an answer. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's the third no in the passage. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's the fourth no in the passage. And she persists. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You love the faith, the perseverance. There she is. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And wouldn't you pray like that if you had a daughter that was possessed by a demon? Jesus, help me. No, 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 no. Jesus, help me, help me, help me. Yes. Keep alert with all perseverance. What are you praying for tonight? What are you about to give up on? Keep alert with all perseverance. God has all the power. Well, you might be asking again, well, what about when I'm weak? What about when I'm tired? What about when I'm defeated? What about when I do give up? What is my hope? And I would say be encouraged because Jesus himself is praying for you. In Hebrews 7, we are told that Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus himself always lives to make intercession for you. Louis Burkhoff wrote this, It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us. Even when we are negligent in our prayer life, that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds, which we often neglect to include in our prayers, and that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious, against the enemies which threaten us, though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. May you keep alert with all perseverance in your prayers. And when you fail, when you're tired, when, you're, when you've lost the will to pray, be encouraged and know that Jesus always lives to pray for you. And he will not stop. He will not give up. Well, the last all in the passage 
Paul says, make supplication for all the saints. Pray for all Christians all over the world, ones you like, ones you don't like, ones you agree with, ones you don't agree with. Now, think about this. Do we know all the Christians in the world? No. Do we know them by name? Certainly not. We can pray for them in general ways. We can pray for them in specific ways as well. The point here is that we pray for others, that we are not selfish in our prayers. In many of Paul's letters, he talks about praying for the saints without ceasing. Pray for all the saints. Pray for God's people. You might ask, well, what what should I pray for them? There are many things that you could pray for them. You could ask them what to pray for them. But a good place to start is just to look through Paul's letters and see how he prays for people. Throughout Ephesians, there's at least two prayers he's written here in Ephesians that he prays for people. One is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. You don't know to pray, pray that. Or chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, there's another prayer of Paul that you can pray for people. May we learn to enjoy the privilege of praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are the four alls of verse 18. I just want to quickly look at verses 19 and 20 because here Paul moves from instructing the believers on how to pray and he gives a personal prayer request. And this last point I want to make is, I'll put it like this. He says, pray for the bold proclamation of the gospel. Pray for the bold proclamation of the gospel. You see, the reason God gives his people the gift of prayer is because Jesus has given us a mission. And this is what Paul is asking prayer for in verses 19 through 20. It's a personal request. He says, pray for me that I may boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, why would Paul ask prayer for this? He asks prayer for this because he's aware of the battle. Because he knows we're up against the schemes of the devil. That we live in the evil day. That we need divine help in this supernatural battle. That the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He knows there will be opposition. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. He knows. He's in prison. He knows that people will reject the truth. He knows that this could cost him his life. So he prays for boldness because he also knows that it is worth it, that Christ is worthy, and that the only way that people will come out of darkness into God's glorious light is through the bold proclamation of the gospel. He knows that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so he asks, pray for the bold proclamation of the gospel. He says that he wants to make known the mystery of the gospel. So what is the mystery of the gospel? Paul has referred to this throughout the letter of Ephesians. The mystery of of the gospel is this. It's that people, and in Ephesians it's specifically talking about the Gentiles, but the mystery of the gospel is that people who are separated from Christ who were dead in their sins in which they lived, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, people who were children of wrath, who had no hope, they were without God in the world, can now, through Christ, through his death and resurrection, they can be brought near, made alive together with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, saved by grace through faith and adopted into the family of God as a fellow citizen and saint 
and a holy temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So pray for the bold proclamation of the gospel, for that good news, the best news the world has ever heard, to go forth. Pray for your pastors. Pray for missionaries. Pray for yourself. How about this week? You want to try it? How about every day? Pray for the bold proclamation of the gospel. For me. For the pastors here. For yourself. And pray for opportunities. And then when that opportunity comes up, take advantage of it. Say a quick prayer again. Ask the Lord to give you the words to speak. I heard once it only takes 20 seconds of courage. That initial moment. Will I say something or not? And open your mouth and begin to proclaim the glory, the love, the truth of Jesus Christ. And may we see how God answers. J.C. Ryle said, Prayer is one of the best and most powerful means of helping forward the cause of Christ in the world. It's a means within the reach of all who have the spirit of adoption. Not all believers have money to give to missions. Very few have great intellectual gifts or extensive influence among men. But all believers can pray for the success of the gospel. And they ought to pray for it daily. Many and marvelous are the answers to prayer which are recorded for our learning in the Bible. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. May we pray for the bold proclamation of the gospel. Well, in closing, I just want to encourage you as you think about, well, where do we go from here? And I want to just give you two practical steps you could take. The first one is this. Be sure you can pray. Be sure you can pray. Remember the man at the beginning. He prayed often, but he didn't pray through Christ in the Spirit. He didn't have access to God. See, Paul has made it clear in this book of Ephesians that the only way you can come to God is through Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, he says, through Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. In chapter 3, he says, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Jesus himself said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Timothy that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So if you want to pray, you must submit your life to Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Repent and trust in Christ. That's the first step. Be sure you can pray. If you're not sure, make sure tonight. Do not go another day without coming to Christ. But if you've already done that, and you know the love of Christ, and you love Christ yourself, then I would encourage you to strive by God's grace and spirit to turn your sum into an all. Turn your sum, S-O-M-E, into an all. Because most Christians pray sometimes with some prayers, to, with some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. But let us strive to turn those sums into all. Do you pray sometimes when you feel like it, only in times of trouble, only before meals? May you strive to pray throughout the day, on the go, at set time. Think of different reminders to encourage you to pray at all times. Do you only pray some kinds of prayer? Are all your prayers just requests? You're never praising God. You're never confessing. You're never thanking. When was the last time you repented of sin before God? That should be a daily part of the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Daily repentance. Do you have some perseverance? What prayer are you about to give up on? Some person you're praying for? Some struggle you have? Remember, every heart is in his hand. Every event is at his disposal. Keep alert with all perseverance. Do you pray for some people, just yourself, your own family, 
Maybe today is an encouragement for you to begin thinking of others, praying for other saints, whether that's missionaries, members here at Westminster, friends, family, whatever it may be. I encourage you to try to turn your sum into an all. Beloved, God has given you the privilege of prayer to help you stand in the battle. May you be eager to enjoy communion, to enjoy fellowship with your loving, gracious, sovereign, powerful Heavenly Father this week. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for your mercy and your grace and your goodness toward us, that you hear our prayers. May we delight to praise you now in Jesus' name.